You are listening to KWVA Eugene. You on the News is a student-produced program at KWVA. The opinions expressed on the show do not reflect the opinions of KWVA, the University of Oregon, or any other affiliated organization. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to email news at kwvaradio.org with a... Hello and welcome to You Own the News. We are recording today on May 6th, so some things may have changed by the time you are listening. Today in the studio we have Sydney, Matt, and Jessica. Let's get started. On Thursday, May 6th, Father Alejandro Solalinde spoke at Prince Lucien Campbell Hall as part of Oregon's Department of German and Scandinavian Studies Writing Migration Conference. The purpose of his Migrants Path presentation was in pursuit of exposing and garnering support for Central American migrants who face brutal conditions on their journey north to the United States. Father Solalinde, however, surprised the audience by beginning his lecture with a call to empower women because our systems of government, of religion, of politics, of social order in general have been designed by men. We have never known a world shaped or an equality with women, according to Solalinde. To illustrate his point, Father Solalinde referenced a letter from St. Paul to the Corinthians in the Bible. In this letter, Paul cites that it is Peter who is the first to see Jesus risen from his crucifixion, but this is historically wrong. Instead, it is Mary Magdalene who is the first to see Jesus leave his tomb. While men hide in the bushes, a group of women, led by Magdalene, receive their resurrected Savior. In Jesus' teaching, it is the women who sustain him economically. They are the most loyal, staying by, by his side, even through the torturous stations of the cross. Father Solalinde talked about the gift of being a woman and celebrating shared power between men and women as we, as we move towards a more equi- equitable world for all. Continuing this theme of equality, Solalinde talked about how all war and conflict is a history of exclusion. He asserted that through neo-capitalist policy, we've become a separated society, judging and excluding those who don't share our cultural and national beliefs. To ignore the plight of migrants is to ignore our shared history as humans in transit. By bringing light to migrants and aiding migrants on their journey, these same migrants can lead us towards a better world, according to Solalinde. Father Solalinde has made it his life's mission to help him to bring an awareness of these migrants to the world. In pursuit of this, Solalinde has led to the creation of the largest support network for migrants in Latin America. His organization, Hermanos en el Camino, or Brothers on the Road, has helped over 20,000 migrating Central Americans at the crossroads of their journey from Central America to Mexico in the city of Ixtepec and the state of Oaxaca in southern Mexico. I think it's really interesting that he tied in religion to um, empower these women, like his own personal stance and still making it really um, accessible because even if like the audience doesn't share his personal religious beliefs, um, he's still sending a pretty, I think, universal message that women uh, deserve or like should have this empowerment. And I think that's really cool that he used um, that platform to do so. I think it's interesting, and I wonder if he is taking those ideas to look back on the church itself as an institution, because historically religion and religious organizations and institutions are pretty patriarchal and often misogynistic. So I'm just wondering if he's looking at his own group with that critical lens. Yeah, it's very interesting that he's looking at his own church that he works for through a very critical lens of saying, hey, we are excluding women way too much. 
The state of California is leading a coalition to sue the Trump administration over the changes in defense of the current standards of auto emissions. 16 other states and Washington, D.C. are also included in the coalition. Scott Pruitt stated that the regulations put into place during the Obama administration are, quote, based on outdated information. The current Obama-era regulations increase the efficiency requirements by 50 miles per gallon per year until 2025. The new proposal would stop the emission standards increase in 2021. The implication of these standards were one of the Obama administration's biggest efforts in curbing climate change. Automakers are ultimately trying to avoid a split in the market for emission standards, where these 17 states have different standards than the rest of the country. This outcome is looking increasingly possible. Um, California has been writing its own air pollution rules since 1970 under the Clean Air Emissions Act, and this is now being challenged. I love a good conversation about states' rights versus federal rights. <laughs> it's always so fascinating to me when a conversation like this is happening and the right is the group that's like trying to take away any kind of states' rights. Or change them totally and I think that um, with California being such a big and like influential state too that's a really big factor in this because since they have such a big like auto industry and since there's so many cars there a lot of um, auto markets um, kind of aid to that like they make their cars work to these California standards instead of the rest of the world mm. or the country yeah I guess yeah so, like, these automakers align their standards with the California standards, which are stricter than many of the other states. So, if these standards, the California standards, change, then it would be a lot more impactful because then the entire auto industry could, like, decrease these standards. Yeah, it's good to see Governor Brown continue to stand up to this administration and kind of stand up what he, for what he believes in. Um, I think we're missing that quite a bit in our political conversation nowadays. And Jerry Brown has continually showed that he'll stick by what he believes is right and stand up to um, any kind of bullying, even from the federal government. So it's great to see. No, absolutely. I know he's been pretty outspoken about it as well, that he sees this as a health issue and almost like a human rights issue. And that's something that he's not comfortable backing down on. What? Are the actions of the other states that are a part of this, what are they doing? Are they just providing support or? Yeah, as of right now, from what I understand, they are just providing support. Like they're joining the coalition that California is leading. But um, some do say that this could potentially be just like step one of a bigger legal battle if these um, emission regulations do change. So basically right now they're opening up to the idea of change um, and with Pruitt like potentially changing even more about this like specific California emission standards and then just the federal standards as well. This is just step one. It depends how far it's going to go. But having the support is like just more of like a legal backing if things do ensue. On Thursday, May 3rd, President Donald Trump admitted through a series of tweets that he reimbursed his lawyer, Michael Cohn, to cover a payment made to adult film star Stormy Daniels in October 2016, a month before the presidential election. 
The payment, which totaled $130,000, was made to Daniels as part of a non-disclosure agreement that barred her from speaking about an alleged 2006 affair with the president. Rudolph Giuliani, former governor of New York, publicly acknowledged Trump had made the payment on May 2nd while talking with Sean Hannity on Fox News. Trump had previously denied having made or knowing of any payments. Giuliani also said it was legal because Trump did not use campaign money. However, according to the Washington Post, campaign finance watchdog groups have filed complaints with the Federal Election Commission's alleging that the payment amounted to an illegal campaign expenditure. Daniel's lawyer also believes Trump is defaming his client with his tweeted admission, especially when he says Daniel's is making extortionist accusations. The circus continues. It's just disappointing that we have to talk about this stuff um, as opposed to actually making some progress in this country and trying to come together a little bit. We have to continue to parse through Trump's supposed lies, supposed half-truths every single week. Seems like there is something new that comes up that Trump essentially bald-faced lied about, and we have to break it down and, again, just parse through it because um, there's half-truths everywhere and people saying lots of different things, and Trump saying one thing one day and then the next completely changing his story. Yeah, I think, first of all, shout out to Hannity for always being a conduit of the drama. Um, (laughs) But second of all, I think it's, yeah, so annoying, honestly, that there's so much going back and forth that, yeah, we do have to spend this time um, to see if even the president is telling the truth. Because even since this was admitted and then he tweeted it he's still been going back and forth about the logistics so it just seems to be a lot of playing the same game of just like fact checking literally everything when there should be a little bit more transparency i feel like so so didn't he um sorry to interrupt so didn't he um already say that giuliani doesn't necessarily know all the facts and didn't quite get his story straight after the fact, no. Michael Cohn said Ru- Rudy Giuliani doesn't know what he's talking about, okay. <laughs> which I'm sorry, but this has been another thing that f- has plagued the Trump administration. People in the administration say things without knowing whether they're true or not themselves. Even within the White House, people don't know what the truth is, or maybe they think they do, but they don't know what the decided upon truth is I think that this is like really representative of how like exhausting the news cycle is Mm -hmm. especially right now Um, and just Trump's Hollywood-esque style I mean it can be exhausting when you hear about his actual policies and so it can sometimes feel easier I think to focus on this whole situation and other situations like it, just more scandal. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, that's his essential, essentially his leadership style is to go th- go like a bulldozer through everything, institute whatever he wants, and then the focus is taken away from that by his own personal style and his own personal life and his own dealings in his personal life. That we don't even talk about the um, dangerous and just we don't talk about the policy that's that's actually going on. We're talking about the scandal and the things that are going on in his personal life without um, addressing what really needs to be done in this country. Which isn't to say that I don't like believe 
looking at a president's personal life isn't important because you can assess someone's character through how they treat mm-hmm. the people in their life. Um, and I do think that like the entire Stormy Daniels situation does speak to some in some ways to like who Trump is as a person. It's just there's also so much going on that it can be hard to figure out what's actually important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think another thing on just this news cycle being really exhausting is now there's this whole other layer that we have to look into because I think that campaign finance is something really, really complex, and a lot of people even talking about it don't totally understand, like, what is okay, what isn't okay, just all the, like, intricacies of it, and that, yeah, again, it's just kind of opening a whole new can of worms that I think we all should educate ourselves on. And I think it seems like it's a little late also. Like, it's been a while. I don't know. Just a weird timing to be having to talk about it. But here we are. But it is good. It, it, would, it would be nice if there are some, if there is some progress um, as far as the suit. I forgot who the group was who was suing Trump um, for, mm-hmm. for what amounts to an illegal campaign contribution. It would, see, it would be nice if there was some, some progress on that, yeah. Uh, another thing I want to bring up and just talk on or talk about for a second is the defamation aspect of the lawsuit, mm. just because um, I think a lot of people find it really shocking that the president of the United States is being like accused of defamation of character of a single like porn actress. Like that's insane to me that a single woman has been singled out in this manner, you know? Right. Well, okay. (laughs) Personally, just on the whole topic, and I do agree like 100% with that, but I I think that Stormy Daniels or Stephanie Clifford, whatever she prefers, she deserves a little bit more credit for how much she has been standing up because it almost does seem like it's her against the Trump administration at this point. And she's, I don't know. That's it's a bold move and I I appreciate it. It's really bold, especially because she knows that by coming even more into the public eye, she's opening herself up to all kinds of abuse from all kinds of like internet trolls of <laughs> like the world over um and all sorts of people who are going to dismiss her because of her job and say that what she's saying isn't true or can't be true. Mm-hmm. And that is not the case. That'll do it for Week in Review. Stay tuned after our PSA for our feature story. Women now make up 37% of the workforce, changing their role forever. Harvard Medical School has now opened its doors to new female applicants. The first woman is now in space. The majority of last year's doctorate degrees were earned by women. We've come so far. But our news is changing for the worse. More women die from heart disease and stroke than men, even though it can be prevented. Make a change at GoRedForWomen.org today. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the American Heart Association's Go Red for Women. The ASUO Street Fair is back on campus, and this time it's for a good cause. The biannual event lines 13th Avenue between Kincaid and University Street. From today, May 9th, until Saturday, May 12th, craft booths and food carts will be on the UO campus. I decided to talk to the current ASUO president, Amy Shank, to ask about changes in the spring 2018 street fair. 
Hey, Amy. We're super happy to have you today. So the street fair starts today, and from my understanding, it's also a sort of a fundraiser. Uh, what are the proceeds of the street fair going to? Yeah, so I guess historical context, the ASUO Street Fair every year has been a fundraiser for ASUO. And then this year we decided with our campaigns, uh, our two main advocacy campaigns being tuition and food security, that it would be apt of us to give part of our proceeds to a food security fund. So what we're doing is actually setting up a line item with the UO Foundation um, that's going to any food security programming on the campus that we can pull out of. Um, and our proceeds will go to that. Um, so we're making sure, you know, obviously it's not IP money because that's not okay. <laughs> but it's uh, just our general fundraiser that we run and kind of giving money to that fund for the future of food security on this campus. And what made you decide on a food pantry as opposed to any other charitable organizations? Yeah, so I'm not honestly 100% positive on like how we can donate to other organizations through ACO like funding, even through fundraising. And I, I mean, the reason why, so it's a food security fund rather than food security pantry, but the food security fund could go towards food pantry money, um, as in like setting up a food pantry, paying for folks to run the food pantry. Um, but we decided to do that because, I mean, each year we accumulate, you know, couple thousand like you know tens of thousand dollars on the street fair and I want to make sure that it's going back to a kind of equitable place before I leave not all of it obviously but just a portion of it as we've seen with the 50 percent um obviously allowing for um you know the rest of the money to be used in any way the new exec would like to be used okay and so why do you think the street fair specifically is a good event for this fundraising I guess to give like context on like my thought process on it I was like okay so food security how do we get folks like parents, administration, stakeholders in the community interested in donating or contributing to the work that a lot of students have already done on this campus to do food security programming, um, students and faculty and admin alike? And so I, we were thinking like, oh, you know, fundraiser, and I've hosted a few fundraisers before myself, and you know, like, oh, it could be at Falling Sky, it could be, you know, pretty bougie, or, you know, there, there's a range of fundraisers that we could have done. And then I was talking with my vice president, Vicki Gim, she's like, why don't we just use the street fair like we have it every single twice a year it's our fundraiser technically um it's already there we have folks working on it for us and this could be an easy way to to attract more attention to what asuo is and what we actually do uh, there's probably been some like reports done on the asuo street fair like reporting wise but there's never been this heavy of press on a street fair before so i'm also we're also trying to bring attention to like oh asuo does this twice a year and this money is going toward you know a good cause each time that we do it so i guess that was kind of my thought process behind having it under a food security fund so why do you think that the press was so heavy this year as opposed to other years I mean, I think it's just because we did the 50% for food security. Um, I think that attracted a lot of attention of like, oh, they're doing something. Because a lot <laughs> of what we do is, yeah, really arguably behind the scenes in a lot of aspects. And this is kind of one of the more quote unquote student government-y type, you know, events that we host. So uh, what are the benefits, would you say, of having a food pantry on campus when there's already one pretty close by? And would they be separate? Yeah, so on the topic of food pantry specifically, we, we've been working to work with the, food, the real estate team to come up with alternative locations. And we have a few prospects. I really just need to sit down with them and talk with them. But we're making movements in that direction. Um, I, you know, Reverend Doug and I have known each other for a while and we've, he's the person who runs the current food pantry on 19th. You know, and we've expressed too, it's, you know, location-wise, it's pretty set. It's pretty close to campus um, without getting on campus. It's just size that we're looking at right now is it's a one car garage. It's really small and the need is increasing as we've seen 
through Doug increasing the time that the food pantry is open from one day to two days for the set amount of hours. And we've seen a huge influx of students. So we're looking at also the need of the capacity of the food pantry. And that's why we're thinking of an alternative space that we can grow off of. So, you know, ideally would love to be space that's turned into like a human resources center, like way down the line. That'd be awesome. So, yeah, that's kind of our thoughts with moving um, that portion of kind of food security efforts on campus. So do you have to be a full-time student to access the food pantry? From my understanding, there's not a lot of questions asked, um, like showing your student ID. It's centered towards students in the community. Is the ASUO planning on hosting any other kind of fundraisers for this or have they? Yeah, for food security. So I guess there's stuff I can't really necessarily talk about right away because we're still figuring out the works of it. But there are things in the works um, that are asked to the university for money. The, this is kind of one of the first fundraisers because I did want to do sort of like a, you know, kickoff or kind of jumping off point. Um, that's why I thought of a fundraiser event initially. Uh, very much was like, oh, if we did like this big kind of dinner, it could all be sponsored and we have people donate. It could be big sort of momentum and jumping off block for the years to come. But we decided this is, you know, a good way to do it. So we haven't done any throughout the year also because we're working out funding structures of, okay, if we're putting money away, we can't really have it under ASUO because it changes every year the admin or executive and uh, people who are in ASU change every year. Uh, So we couldn't secure funding that way. Okay, so, and we don't want to put it directly under sort of like a department at the university. So what are our other options? And UO Foundation was one of them, seeing as it's a 501c3, um, works with the university and we can have a signer um, that works with ASUO that could allocate this funding. So I guess long story short, yeah, we didn't really do any other fundraising this year just because of working out those kinks um, and also working out kinks to like, what are we fundraising for? And we just didn't want to be like, you know, we think we're going to do this in like, you know, three years. It's more of like, okay, we have steps that we're doing um, and this is going to help with those. So, Okay. So from my understanding, it's fundraising for like a food security fund, yeah. correct? Okay. Yeah. So um, it, once the food pantry is already set up, would like future street fairs go also like the funds to this food security fund? Yeah. To give context, so we're looking at like food pantry um, and other food security programming I guess, like, I'm trying to ensure the best way possible with, like, trying to be as transparent as possible that there are things that we're working on, especially with the Sustainability Center on, like, like SNAP registration days and produce drops. Um, that would that funding could go toward those. So there's, like, multiple aspects, and there's some bigger food security programming that we're, we're hopefully launching next year. And, yeah, I would love for this to continue. I would absolutely love for this kind of precedent to continue each year that 50% of the proceeds would go toward food security. I mean, I'm out of office in a couple of weeks. It's up to the new executive whether or not they want to do that. For this year, that's why we still wanted to do it because we're like, well, we just don't know what's going to happen next year or the years to come. Considering that you are leaving in a few weeks, has it been like a pretty collaborative effort? Because it sounds like it was kind of your idea. So was it difficult at all to convince people to get on board with this? Or For, for this like next year, you're mm-hmm. thinking? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it was difficult because I think it's amazing to see so many different stakeholders who that I mean I don't see eye to eye with but we can talk about food security can talk about how hunger is an actual issue because I don't know like talking about human rights is like a thing and so this year wasn't obviously hard at all to talk to Maria and her group external vice president Ivan and internal vice president Monty were on my exec team this year so that was one of our campaigns that we worked on so they're very familiar with the work that we've been doing and Ivan has been working so so hard on quack wraps and doing the burrito drops every Monday and working with a local um, group burrito brigade to do that. I'm guessing that they'll continue it. Uh, I'll definitely let Maria talk on kind of their motives or, you know, their ideas around food security for next year. But 
I doubt it will completely fall through the cracks, if that makes sense. So do you have a specific goal in mind for this year that you want to reach for the street fair funds? It would be great to do like five or six thousand. Um, I know to start a UO Foundation line item, you have to have 10 grand. Um, so I think we're just going to do, you know, the placeholder sort of, I'm hoping five to 6,000 and then moving on. Because um, proceeds in the past, we've seen range from like seven grand to like 10 grand. Um, so I'm projecting low just to like not hype up my expectations. Um, <laughs> and also just to be realistic, like, you know, if we're planning for lower, we can obviously do more with more money. So. Um, so if someone outside of ASUO wanted to get involved with just setting up this new food pantry, could they? Yeah, so it's super, and I've actually come up with this issue because I've had a few folks reach out to me just like in the community um, since they've heard about the like food um, security kind of efforts um, now more heightened because of the street fair. And I was thinking about, so I mean, I'm out of office in a few weeks. What I'm going to try to do is connect them with our task force that we have on the administrative level. So I created a food security task force with Chris Winter, Adina Students, um, that includes a host of stakeholders around the university. Um, I co-chair it with Jill Creighton, who now works in Dean's Student's Office. Um, and there's faculty, there's administration, there's advisors. There's so many people that come out um, for this task force. So I would try to get them plugged into that task force and be on like the list, you know, email list for notifications. Um, that would kind of be my one thing. And then connecting with Maria for this next year, because um, we only have a few weeks left in the term, unfortunately. Um, so there's not as much like effort that we can do. But I know summer activities that will be under Maria's purview. Connecting, I'll probably connect them with like Maria and getting them involved in that way. Cool. It's going to be fun. There's a beer garden from 12 to 5. I'm really excited. And it lasts till Saturday. Today to go get food. So. Did it not do that in the last year's? No, we would only do to Friday because I know a lot of students always are like, oh, I wish it was, you know, one more day. And the community also, they really like coming on campus during the weekend if something's happening. So cool. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. And that'll do it for You Own the News. Tune in next Wednesday and every Wednesday at 7 p.m. for more You Own the News. And please don't touch that dial after the PSA. We'll be back with some more for arts and culture. I'm John, a volunteer at United Way. I'm here at Lincoln Elementary School to find out what this place needs. Who knows better about what kids need than kids, right? Let's ask them. Monsters! Lasers! A pool! Another guinea pig! More lasers! Sprinkles! I was thinking more spinach at lunchtime and maybe more exercise. Nah. Nuh-uh. Lasers are cool. When it comes to creating healthier communities, what this place needs is you. To donate or volunteer, go to unitedway.org. Because great things happen when we live united. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council.